I can clap all day for that. I'm so excited. And I'm also on the preaching team. So here I am. We did have our business meeting last week. It was great to get together, wasn't it? It just was fantastic. And one of the things that we talked about was opportunities that we're looking for to be involved and more involved in our community. And David mentioned that earlier as well. And so keep an eye out over the holidays for ways that we can do that. Um, we'll definitely have some opportunities out there. Lori and I and a few others are putting my truck in the Deck the Halls, and it's Deck the Halls is H-A-U-L-S for Hollis. So if you're thinking you might be creative like that, we're going to have an HC Kids truck, but they're looking for more cars. It's just a place where people drive through and look at the lights you put on it. Um, you probably saw or might have seen, we've got the um, York County Elder Abuse Task Force along with the Southern Maine Agency on Aging. They're having a community cafe here once a month. I love that we can host that. That's a, a group of folks that have definitely been uh, a bit displaced during these times. So keep an eye out for those things. I just wanted to say that as we get started. We are in the series Wandering. We're in Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. We're in the clean pages of your Bible. And I hope that you are with me uh, just really enjoying going through the truths of God's word that are from the Old Testament. Last week, David talked about the occult, and we got to really focus in on the danger of chasing anything besides God's word as a source of truth. And so as we get into today, we're going to be in Deuteronomy 14, verses 22 to 29. If you've got your Bibles, turn there. I've got a sermon entitled, It's Not Even Yours. Hmm. Psalm 24, 1 tells us, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and those who dwell therein, everything is God's. Everything. This overarches so much of our conversation, of our lives, of our beliefs, of our actions. But today's passage, Deuteronomy 14, 22 to 29, is about tithing. <gasps> Let me give you a moment to get up and leave. <laughs> it's about tithing, about giving back to God. And so hopefully you can see the title, why it's there. It's not even yours. I want to start with a quick story. My sister-in-law, who will remain nameless, Lisa, um, understood it's not even yours as a young child. If you spend time with Lisa and you talk about her childhood, this story will inevitably come up. She and the whole Barry crew lived on Pleasant Hill Road. Many of you know where that is. And as many of you know, there's a church on that road. And in the 70s, there wasn't any online giving. And they also didn't lock the doors. And one Sunday afternoon, Lisa was walking by the church and could see right in the window 
that the day's offering was sitting right on the table. Lisa had a big family, and there wasn't enough candy to go around. I think she was 10 or 12. So she went right in, the doors were unlocked, and helped herself to take care of that problem. I know, can you believe it? I can. It's not even yours. In case you were wondering, she took care of it later. But we want to really focus on today, uh, and this passage is going to actually teach us some pretty amazing things that we might not have thought about when it comes to the topic of tithing. But the oldest reference to tithing in the Bible is found in Genesis 14. Don't go there unless you want to. But it's where Abraham chased after a king, like went to go attack him. Um, and the king, king's name was Keterleomer, one of the coolest names in the Bible. Uh, and Abraham was there to rescue Lot, who'd been captured. And with 300 armed men, Abraham defeated Keterleomer and not only saved Lot, but got all kinds of goods stolen from his kingdom. And on the way back, stolen, taken, booty, however you want to call it, on the way back, a mysterious figure, you've probably heard of him, you've been around the Bible a bit, named Melchizedek, shows up. He was called priest of the Most High God. In verse 18 of Genesis 14, he met Abraham and he blessed him. And verse 20 simply says, of Genesis 14, and Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. Hmm. So this is before the law. This is before a whole lot of things. There's no command in the later Mosaic law or anywhere in Scripture that men are to give a tenth of their booty, if that's what we're going to call the, the captures, the spoils of war to the priest. But Abraham did it evidently as a token of gratitude to God who had just given him such a great victory. So our first encounter with tithing in Scripture is one where the giver is responding to God who just fought for him and had given him victory as well as a great blessing. That's the pattern we must not forget. And so I want, before we dive into this, I want you to hear me. Mark indicated it earlier. I cannot speak enough of the faithfulness of this congregation in the last couple of years. Cannot. As we sat down as an elder team to take a look at the budget for 2021, we just, 2022, just marveled at where we were. And so the faithfulness of the, this body is just mind-blowing. And just praise God for it. And so that said, this is not a sermon that's a plea for money at all. Please, don't hear that. We're in Deuteronomy. It's in chapter 14. David put this on the preaching schedule. And here we are. But I have a thought that I want you to hang on to as we go through today's sermon. God has given you good stuff so that you can show the world what a person who treasures Jesus looks like. God has given you good stuff so that you can show the world what a person who treasures Jesus looks like. 
Okay, and so we're going to be looking through these verses, but the first 21 verses of Deuteronomy chapter 14 deal with food. It is probably the most boring section of Deuteronomy because it's don't eat this bird, don't, the, the, the whole thing is, is, is interesting, but it's just all about food, and we love food, but we don't like being told what not to eat, and that's what Deuteronomy 14 was about, the, the first 21 verses are about. And it was about taking care of yourself in order to honor God. The verses that we're going to look at today are about taking care of others to honor God. And Moses is letting the people know, if you're not familiar with Deuteronomy, if you haven't been here, this, this book is Moses' swan song. He knows he's not going into the promised land. He gathers his people together and gives them instruction from God. You are going to go, and you are going to take the land, and here are the things that are really, really important. And, and he's saying, as you become awash in material things, because that's what's going to happen, Homes, crops, families, livestock, you need to remember God. Because we know, and we've even talked about it as we've studied Deuteronomy, the temptation in good times when we have good things is to forget God. And over and over and over again in Deuteronomy, it is don't forget, remember, over and over and over again. And check it out for yourself um, to see all the details. And giving back to God something that he has given you, something that is already his, is a demonstration that you have not forgotten him. And so we're going to look at today's passage. Some things might surprise you. Some things might make you uncomfortable. That's great. And we'll look at what Jesus had to say about giving back to God as we finish. So let's go ahead and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, the Bible says a lot about money and stuff. And the message that the Bible tells us is that a lot of times it can get in the way of our relationship with you. And so, Lord, as we take a look at this, as we start, as, even when you use the word tithe, we start to go, oh, you know, we, and we shrink back a little bit. Help us to understand that you care so much more about the why than the what. Help us to be why people, not what people. And so as we dive into your word today, as we dive into Moses' instruction to your people, may we really truly find anew our purpose in giving and serving you. In Jesus' name, amen. So this passage starts with a yearly trip. And so I've broken the the passage down into a few sections. I'm going to have all the verses up here, but follow along in your Bible as well if you can. Verse 22. You shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year, okay? The definition of the word tithe is a one-tenth part of something. So the tenth thing, it's in the definition, it's in the, move, in, in, it's in the word. At the time of Moses, tithing was made part of the law God gave to Israel. And one of the key texts is Leviticus 27. You don't have to go there. I'll just read a piece of it. It says, all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees, it's the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. And all the tithe of herds and flocks, every tenth animal that passes under the herdman's staff shall be holy to the Lord. And so here the law made explicit what's to be tithed, namely produce of the field, grain, produce of the trees, fruit, and herds and flocks. So let's keep 
looking at this passage, verse 23. And before the Lord your God, in the place that he will choose to make his name dwell there, so 10%, bring it to the place that God chooses. This would later be Jerusalem. And continuing verse 23, you shall eat the tithe of your grain, of your wine, and of your oil, and the firstborn of your herd and flock, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. What did we just read? Once a year, bring 10% of what God has given you and place it in the storehouse. Meet with the elder team to budget it out. No. Once a year, bring 10% and have a party. The people were to take their tithes to this place and then eat it there, or at least part of it, in a feast of joy. Tithing was not to be reduced just to paying the priests and keeping the temple up. That was a part of it. It was an expression of joy and gratitude. God did not need the tithe. Isn't it weird how we feel sometimes like God needs what we have? And it's weird. We can't, it's tough for us to pull that out of our heads. He doesn't need your tithe. He doesn't need your stuff. It's already his. It's not even yours. <laughs> okay? In commanding it, who was seeking not their stuff, but them. You see that? That you may learn to fear the Lord your God. That you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. Take a tenth of your year's produce, go to the holy place, offer it to the Lord, eat it or part of it to his glory in gratitude that you may learn to fear him. That you may learn to hold him in awe and reverence. And that the tithe and the celebration together is how we are going to celebrate and express gratitude to God. A heart is not a heart that holds on to God's stuff tightly. God wanted his people to give, to celebrate, to remember in awe and reverence. And so a word, how great must, must, must this have been? Once a year, everybody comes. Everybody comes. And they bring all this stuff, some amazing stuff, a tenth of whatever they've produced. This is an agrarian society. They are growing crops. They're growing amazing things. You remember when we talked, I believe it was Leviticus, they would, or Numbers maybe, where they, would, they came, uh, the spies, and they had grapes that they had to carry with two people. This land was bountiful. And they came together once a year in a massive celebration. That is not what I usually think of when I think of tithe. But that's exactly what Deuteronomy 14 is laying out for us. We did that last week. There were little mini Italians. They were good. It wasn't grapes carried by multiple people. But we came together. We ate together. Have you missed that? I have. You can see God wants 
and to get together and together show gratitude to the Lord in awe and reverence. And in our time of the last couple of years, I am hearing and experiencing, and you are as well, it's been a weird time, has it not? The word disconnected keeps coming up. People are feeling disconnected. Isolated, separated. And so I want to challenge you in this as we look at this passage and we see that God is pushing people to both give with a heart of gratitude and gather and celebrate that each one of us takes a moment, looks in our heart to see how we can help those around us with those feelings of isolation. The church can only do so much, but you are the church. And so press into that. Look out for those around you. Online is not going to do it, is it? Don't we know it? Okay, so I just challenge you in that. As I was prepping the sermon and I got to this part, you could really sense that God wants his people gathering together, celebrating his goodness, and we need to, as God's people, do that. And so what's neat is this particular passage talks about folks that were disconnected in their own way. That's where we're going. They were far from the sanctuary. They were far from the place that God identified where this was supposed to happen. And so God made, next slide, special provision for them. He gave them a way to change it up and accommodate those that were far away. And it's beautiful. And if you haven't seen this, I, you, you'll, you're going to see the touch to some New Testament stuff here in just a second. Verse 24. And if the way is too long for you, so that you're not able to carry the tithe, when the Lord your God blesses you because the place is too far from you, which the Lord your God chooses to set his name there. So Canaan was a large area. If you were far away from the temple, obviously, and you had lots of wealth, getting everything, including the firstborn of your herds and those big piles of grapes and the whole nine yards, if, if that was a real struggle for you, Moses explains in verse 25 what you can do. Verse 25, then you shall turn it into money. Go sell it. You shall turn it into money and bind up the money in your hand and go to the place that the Lord your God chooses. They could sell them and use the money to purchase substitutes when they arrived at the holy place. They could change their money to substitutes at the temple. Money changing. Where have you heard that before? Because Jesus turned over tables of money changers. Every single one of the Gospels has an account of Jesus going to town on money changers. Deuteronomy says, you got to change money. People can't bring their stuff, so they take their money, they show up at the temple, and they buy doves or, or sheep or whatever the product might be. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all talk about Jesus turning over the tables. Why? Because the money changers were taking advantage of travelers for profit and doing that in God's house. 
The intent was that the travelers who sold their livestock or crops and brought the money to the temple could change it to something and then use it, and sometimes it was too expensive. And it was unreasonable. They were price gouging. And so they were to change the, the money to what? Something very specific, I'm sure. Maybe tokens or, uh, you know, lambs that were this size. Something that the law would be very clear on. Nope. You take your money, you bring it to the temple, you bring it to God's holy place. And verse 26, underline it. Because it's interesting. And spend the money for whatever you desire. <clears throat> Can someone else come up and finish this verse for me? Anybody? Any volunteers? Oxen or sheep or grape juice or lemonade. <laughs> I'm working here, guys. Whew. Shouldn't have. <laughs> Oxen or sheep or wine or strong drink, whatever your appetite craves, this is in the Bible. What? Is it in your Bible? Just checking. I want to make sure I didn't get scammed. This is a passage on tithing, guys. You see what's happening here? I, if it, if it's, it blew my mind, this verse particularly. This verse is tough on legalists like myself. Tough on those that want everything spelled out. That want our relationship with God to look like a list. God says, take the money of your tithe and spend it on whatever you want. And you shall eat there before the Lord your God and rejoice, you and your household. Wow. Am I the only one that grew up with tithe as a responsibility? Is it? Oh, we're going to look at some stuff in a bit. I just want you, to, I want you to see this is in the Old Testament, okay? And so we can see the two results of the tithe that God is looking for. Fear the Lord, awe and reverence for him, and joy. And joy. You shall eat there before the Lord your God and rejoice, you and your household. points us back to God because it's not even yours. God, so we got that. And you can all go home and struggle with verse 26 of Deuteronomy 14. I'd love to hear from you, and David would love to hear from you, actually. Um, <laughs> okay, so we got, uh, guys, this this is, a, this is a struggle for us because what we tend to do just in our human nature is we tend to think of something as one and done. And guess what? Faithfulness of, of you, this people, who've gone online and given, we, don't, we haven't passed the plate in a, in a moon here. There's a box in the back, great. 
But the faithfulness here is based on regular giving all day long, and that's wonderful. That's the what. What the Bible presses into is the why. Is the why. And so we're going to see more of that. And so not only what we got there, God also cares very much that spiritual leaders are cared for. And we see that next. The next part of the tithe was to provide for spiritual leaders. In verse 27, And you shall not neglect the Levite who is within your towns, for he has no portion or inheritance with you. And so the tithe is not just to be totally consumed by the family that brings it. The Levites who were scattered throughout the tribes of Israel had no land of their own and were supposed to be supported by the tithes of others. So the model of what you see here is very, very consistent with Scripture. They're supported by the tithers of the other 11 tribes. And the Levites were set apart for special religious purposes, didn't have crops, didn't have herds. And the tithe was given to God, not only in the sense that it was eaten in a feast and a celebration for his faithfulness, but also it supported the spiritual leaders that God had instituted. Don't neglect them. And in the last section of this passage, Moses then goes on to describe the triennial tithe. Triennial, that's the word of the day. It means once every three years. They come up and scrabble. Verse 28. At the end of every three years, you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce in the same year and lay it up within your towns. Continuing on, verse 29. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow who are within your towns shall come and eat and be filled. That the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands that you do. Okay, that's the end of the passage. It is not a massive mystery for you to dive into this passage and see what matters to God. As the triennial tithe that we're talking about here was designed not only to support the Levites, but also the three most helpless groups of people in that society. Refugees, orphans, and widows. They had their own benevolence fund. That's essentially what it looks like was set up. And it was replenished every three years for the needs of these people by the calling in of a special tithe. And so anybody that ever tells you that what the Bible calls for is 10%, 10% only, is not reading their Bible. And finally, this section closes with a promise of blessing on the people if they are faithful in this act of mercy to men and gratitude to God. And this is a good place to remind ourselves of two things. Hear me. One, the way that most tithes were given to God was by giving them to people. The way that most tithes were given to God were by giving them to people. God does not need your money. But people might. He can be honored by the way we treat others in his name. Hmm. 
by things that we do that celebrate his goodness to us. Our willingness to trust him to supply our needs when we give. And the other thing the Bible promises over and over again is that those that give to God are blessed. It's there over and over and over again. But it's about your heart. And so as we come over to the New Testament, the picture changes significantly. Pretty much much of what we look at from the Old Testament, when we get to the New Testament and we see Jesus enter into history and we see and hear his teachings, Jesus mentions tithing twice. Both times in reference to it being abused. In Matthew 23, 23, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. And boy, I'd love to be studying this just to see Jesus' frustration with the fact that, well, you know what? I made sure I got to church and I showed up and I made sure all the gold clinked when it got in there. And as I walked to church, there were some very, very needy people that I could have helped that I didn't. This frustrated Jesus so much that you got your order of things down and you figured you were fine. In Luke 18, 9 through 14, he says, he told the parable. He says, he also told this parable to someone who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not like other men, extortioners, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. And you can read the rest of that where a tax collector comes and it's just, it's just, empties himself before the Lord. Those are the two mentions of tithing by Jesus. That's it. Obviously, Jesus didn't regard tithing as a spiritual cure-all. Wouldn't that be nice if it was? He doesn't reject it. He affirmed it for Israel, but he's much more intent on the weightier matters. Like faith. You can tithe everything and not trust God. Jesus was not seeking their stuff. He was seeking them. He was after their hearts, not their stuff. He's after your heart, not your stuff. It's not even yours. It's already his. It's not even yours. And so Luke 21 is kind of going to lead us into some other things we're going to look at in the New Testament. Luke 21, 1 through 3. You can turn there if you'd like. Uh, I'm going to read verses 1 through 3. I don't have it up on the slides. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, and the inference is more than all of them combined. 
And Jesus continues in verse 4 of this passage, for they all contributed out of their abundance. And you can hear Jesus say whoop-de-doo there in the Greek. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Okay, Jesus, that's a little, that's going just a, that's a little too far. Okay? And what Jesus was fighting is this idea that I have this much stuff and I'm going to give this much to God. And no, you don't. <laughs> you have nothing that is not God's. And that, that thinking that says, well, I have this much and this much goes to God represents the complete blasphemy to Jesus. And we're going to look a little bit at why. And so the question that Jesus drives us to ask is not how much should I give, but how much do I dare to keep? And so if you want to get in your Bibles and go to 2 Corinthians, um, we're going to spend a little bit of time here. Uh, some wonderful stuff about giving in 2 Corinthians. I would challenge you to go. The book is not a long read. There's a lot of stuff in it. But as you get into chapters 8 and 9, a lot about giving the jewels that we're going to look at that, that absolutely relates to the heart of what we're talking about today. But in 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about the churches of Macedonia. You might have heard of them um, and might have heard this preached before. But what Paul says is that in their poverty, they wanted to give. And in 2 Corinthians 8, 4, here's what Paul says about the churches in Macedonia. He says that they were begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. They were begging to give. It's an upside-down world. They were begging to give as opposed to being begged to give. And so as Paul continues in 2 Corinthians, talking about generosity and giving, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. This just blows us up. I want, I want it to be 10%, maybe, maybe 10% of gross, not net, or net, not gross, and, and pre-tax, not... Right? Wouldn't it be nice if I could put a spreadsheet up here for you and explain how this is supposed to work, and we all get out early, go to Hannaford, get our rotisserie chicken. That's a, that's a shout-out to Dave King. Um, here's what Paul says. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. That stinks. That's not easy. That means I might actually have to do some work. I might have to talk to God about this. I might need to be led by the Holy Spirit in this part of giving back to God his stuff. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And if where you're going, because we all human in here, 
is, well, just give me a percentage. Give me a number. You're missing the point. It is not about what you give. It is about what God gave. Front to back, start to finish, top to bottom. It is about what God gave. And that our response of what we do with God's stuff that he's entrusted us with is about what God gave. That's always the focus. God took the most valuable thing in the history of the universe of all things created and non-created and spent it on us. That's the reality. He did not give us 10% of Jesus. And so when Jesus comes and tells us these things that sound so hard, you have to understand what he's doing. He's going and giving 100%. He didn't give an angel. God didn't give an angel. He goes, you know what this will do? He gave his son. For God so loved the world, he gave his son. And so when we talk about giving in this church, if it's not couched and understood in the context of what God gave, we are off the rails. He gave his only son. Lori and I listened to the song this morning, Let Me Tell You About My Jesus. The same chapter... It's not up here, but the same chapter. You're in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Take a look at verse 15. This is Paul's summary. Paul's summary of this whole section on giving. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. And what Paul's saying there is, I will use words and I will attempt to communicate God's gift of his son to us but I really can't. It's inexpressible. So back to the point I wanted you to hang on to today. God has given you good stuff so that you can show the world what a person who treasures Jesus looks like. What does a person who treasures Jesus look like? A person who treasures Jesus understands that everything, literally everything that they have is given by God everything. And it's not even theirs. If you have, if you've got your Bibles and you're banging around in the New Testament, go to Acts 4. Okay? Or swipe there with your phone, whatever. Acts 4. And I want you to just see this. I didn't put it up here because I wanted this to stay up here. But in Acts 4.32, I want you to just see this jump out at you as we look at this and as we talk about it. Acts 4.32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And this is just beautiful, Pentecost, the church comes together, just amazing, amazing things. It says, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. You miss that sometimes when you're reading through? 
It says, no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. Yeah, okay, okay. That's New Testament church. Wait. Oh. Hmm. Okay. This is what a person who treasures Jesus looks like. Matthew 5, 42, Jesus said this as part of his Sermon on the Mount. He says, give to the one who begs from you. And do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Well, that's fine if they want to borrow a rake. Hmm. Okay. What we're, what we're summarizing here is seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Essentially, don't treat people the way they treat you. Treat people the way God treated you. Treat them the way God treats you. And so a question, do you treasure Jesus more than your stuff, which isn't even yours? If not, start there. Jesus doesn't want your stuff. He wants you. And when you are his, it makes all the difference in the world. He will make you one who holds loosely to the things of this world that are all his. And so if the singers and the musicians want to come up, Every single one of us can think about those things in this world that we have got our clutches in, that we are not holding on loosely. And Scripture is very clear and shows us in many, many places that for many, many people, it's their things. And so today we looked at the Old Testament commands around tithing that were given to the folks entering the promised land. And it was about awe and reverence for the God who gave everything and gratitude for what he'd done. That doesn't change. We're in the New Testament. We are able to see all that was pointing to Jesus. We're able to look back and see, wow, it is not about what you give. It is about what God gave. And so we're going to sing what a beautiful name to close with today. Sydney, can I, yes? Good. Just, I'm always scared that I might not have that right. We're going to sing what a beautiful name. And when Jesus went to the cross and he died for us, his death could not hold you. The veil tore before you. Silence the boast of sin and of the grave. Heavens are roaring the praise of your glory for your raised to life again. It's not about what you give. It's about what God gave in his son. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do. We hold on to stuff tight, and we know it, and we know we're going to walk out of here today, and we're going to look at our checkbook, and we're going to, and we're going to, we're going to be scared, and we're going to be challenged to trust you. We're entering a season where our entire culture is just going to pound us with every Black Friday, Cyber Monday, half-off deal known to man. And we're getting into a season of giving. 
And Lord, as we think about what we give to ministries, what we give to this church, how we serve you, Lord, may we have the perspective right. It's not about what we give. It's about what you gave. And may that drive us. May that help us. May we seek the leading of your Holy Spirit to know exactly what to give and how to give and where to give. You will lead us in that. You promise when we need wisdom, if we ask, you'll give it. So we're asking. Thank you for this time. We've been able to dive into your word. Thank you for this group of people so faithful. In Jesus' name, amen.